today is when religion gets in the way. That's the title of my message, when religion gets in the way. And I want to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, um, starting at verse 19. If you, keep, if you guys could go ahead and open and uh, open your Bibles there and follow along with me. Let's start reading. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by, your, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast then uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have this beautiful portion of scripture that we just read um, from Hebrews and um, and, and it's, it's very clear. I want to get some, some of the principles out here for us. And it's very clear um, what the author of Hebrews is saying. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, some people say it was Paul. Uh, we don't know. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is that there is a way to God. There is one way to God. And this, this way that this door, the gateway, uh, is already open for us. There is o- only one way that anyone will gain access to God. And that way is through Jesus and what he has done for us. Amen. And that's good news. I don't know about you, but that's good news. For me, that's good news. That when the author of Hebrews is reminding us that there's only one way to God, and his name is Jesus, um, that, it, that there is a way to God, and that his name is Jesus, that's good, good news to me. And, and it makes me rejoice. Because I don't know about you, when I look at myself, and when I see my flaws and my mistakes and when I see uh, my lack of, right, my limitations, um, I'm hit with the fact that I'm just not good enough. <laughs> I'm just hit, overwhelmed by the truth that I just didn't make the cut. I'm not good enough. So when the author of Hebrews is reminding us that there is a way to God, that his name is Jesus, well, I rejoice in that because in spite of me, I can still have access to God. That in spite of me, I am still a part of God's promises. I can still partake in the promises of God. That in spite of me, that in regardless of myself and all of these limitations I see, all the mistakes that I've committed, there's still a way to God. So that's good news. I don't know, man, sometimes we just get used to coming to church services and we get used to listening to sermons and uh, listening to, you know, messages and we, we, we've just gotten used to the gospel and the good news of Jesus. But there should be something within us that every single time we hear anything related to the good news of Jesus Christ, something within us should be stirred, should stir us into praising him, into thanksgiving, into exaltation, in opening our, our mouths and just saying glory to God. Because this is good news. This is good news. But the title of my message is, When Religion Gets in 
the way. Well, I've, I've been part of church long enough to, to see religion getting in the way. And, 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 and getting in the way of what? Well, religion gets in the way of your relationship with God. Religion has a way to get in the way of your calling. Really, who God has created you to be. What God, the, the good works that God has in store for you. Oftentimes, religion gets in the way. And I've seen that happening. I've seen that happening. Now, let's, let's begin by defining religion. And we'll, we'll go back to, to Scripture, to this portion of Scripture, to see how it relates to that. But let's see, let's start defining religion. Because oftentimes here at our church, at Vine Church, we say we're not religious. We don't like religion. You know, we turn our backs against religion because it stinks. It just gets in the way. And, 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 but it's interesting because we still call ourselves Christians. Right? And, and, and usually Christianity is a religion. It's considered to be a religion. So what does it mean when we say we're not religious? And what do we mean by religion? Well, I don't know if you know, but the word religion in its um, 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 original language, um, it means actually uh, to reconnect with God. That's what religion is. That's what it means. It's a way to reconnect people to God. Right? And it's interesting because every religion in the world, you can take a look and study every religion in the world. There will always be a set, a list of things that we should do to adhere to that religion. There's a, th there's a list of things that we need to do to attain some kind of merit with a God. There's a, a list of things that we need to do to attain some kind of good level within that religious group. There's always a list of things that we need to do to correctly adhere to that religion. Why? Because it's a way to connect you with God. you got to do this that this religion presents to you so that you can be finally reconnected to God. But we know, and it's what the author of Hebrews is saying, that there is nothing that brings that connection to God besides Jesus. The, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that there is no other way, that there is no other path. Look at what he says right here, verse 19 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his that is, through his flesh. Let me just explain to you, in case you're a little bit lost, what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews was writing this letter to a group, to a group of Hebrews. You guessed it right. <laughs> why? Uh, and why is he using these words? Well, he's using language that the Hebrew people would understand. I don't know if you remember from Old Testament stories, or I don't know if you know this, but the Hebrew people, they, they had a temple. And within the temple, there was one room called the holy place or the holy of holies. And inside that room, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know if you know, but the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God and the glory of God. And in that holy place, once a year, the high priest would enter and offer sacrifice for himself and for all the nation of Israel. And, and for that one sacrifice, for that one sacrifice... Um, all the sins of the people, including the sins of the high priest himself, would be covered for that entire year before God. 
so that they could have access to his blessings and his promises and his provision and his protection. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is equating what Jesus did to those sacrifices. He's just using a, a poetry and symbolism um, so, so that the, the Hebrew people could relate to what he's saying. So let's pay attention again. What is he saying? He's saying, look, we have confidence to enter the holy place. So what is he referring to? To that room in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was representing the presence and the glory and the power of God. So in other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, by what Jesus has done, through the blood of Jesus, you have confidence to come before the presence and the glory of God. Literally, I'm just translating what the author of Hebrews is saying to a group of Gentiles. We're Gentiles. We're not Hebrews. At least I'm not. So what he's saying is we have confidence. We have confidence to come before the presence of God. We have confidence to come before the glory of God. How? By the blood of Jesus. I love this. The first, the statement is that it is by the blood of Jesus that you can come before the presence of God. But not timid, not shy, not, not fearful, not full of guilt, but according to Hebrews, it's saying that by the blood of Jesus, you can come before the presence and the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God with confidence, with boldness. Why do we have confidence? In, in, in who do we have confidence? Not in ourselves. Not because we met a list of things. Not because we, we made the cut. Not because we, we hit the standard. No, but we have confidence in Christ, in his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of all our sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? So therefore, in spite of ourselves, regardless of what we've done, we can still be confident enough. Not in us, but in Christ to come before the presence of God, knowing that he will never turn his back against us. Knowing that he will never reject us. Knowing that, he will, that we will be welcomed. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we will be welcomed before the presence of God. That you can come before the presence of God with confidence. But you see, religion gets in the way of that. Because what religion does, religion tells you that, no, that's not how it works. And I've grew up like this. I've grew up with this religious mindset that, that for me to receive anything from God and for me to gain any kind of access before the presence of God, I would have to correct myself. I would have to deserve. I would have to merit. And I have to earn my way to God. And that is a, a never-ending battle. Because if we're honest enough, we'll never fully please God perfectly. We'll, all, we'll always be disqualified in one way or another. We'll always, there's always something that will disqualify us. Do you understand what I'm saying? But religion, religion focuses on what you do. Religion focuses on what you can offer God. Not in what Christ has already offered God on your behalf. Because the cross of Jesus was all about that, was Christ doing on our behalf what we could never do on our own. That is to finally, ultimately pay for our mistakes and grant us complete, full access to God. To make us right when we were completely unrighteous. You understand what I'm saying? 
to correct sin within us, to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. There is always something accusing us. So Christ has done it. But religious doesn't, religion doesn't focus on what Christ has done. Religion focuses on us. It focuses on ourselves. It focuses on, on what we can do, what we can offer God. Religion makes it all about us. When in Scripture, the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles, it makes it all about Christ. Christ is the center of it all. Christ is the centrality of the message in Scripture. From the Old Testament still, there are so many symbols and foreshadowings of what Christ has done and accomplished for us on our behalf before God. And in the New Testament, you'll encounter this truth that the, the center of the message is not you. It actually removes you from the center. Religion places you in the center. But the message of the gospel and scripture itself removes you from the center. The glory ain't yours. You're not the center of it. It's Christ. Christ is the center. Christ is the center of the gospel. Christ is the center of scripture. It exalts him. It exalts what he has done. It exalts his work, what he has accomplished. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? And if we keep reading, look at all these beautiful analogies. Verse 20, by the new and living way, right, we have confidence to enter before the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, that Christ opened for us. We didn't open it ourselves. How? Through the curtain, that is by his flesh. What, that's what the author of Hebrews says. Let me just explain to you what that means. What separated the holy place the Holy of Holies, that room that contained the Ark of the Covenant, the presence and the glory of God, was a thick curtain. But it's interesting that the author of Hebrews is making reference to something that took place at the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died, man, and I wish I could portray this, this picture for you, for you to see it like a video. When the moment Jesus died, the scripture says in Matthew that the earth shook. There was, there was darkness all over the earth, and all of a sudden there's beams of light, and the earth is shaking. And it's saying that even the dead are coming back to life. Some of the dead are coming back to life. But it says something very interesting. It says that the veil that separated, the actual veil, the physical veil, that separated the holy place within the temple, um, it, it was torn from top to bottom. That took place. It was a statement from heaven, people. That before, the presence of God was contained in one room. But when Jesus died, God himself tearing that veil from top to bottom. It was his initiative. And that's something we got to learn as Christians, that it's always God's initiative. It's always him that's taking all the steps towards you. We're only drawn by his goodness. It's him beckoning you. It's him inviting you. It's always God. It's God that stripped himself from his glory and stepped down on earth to die on that cross. I mean, it's, it's always God's initiative. Anyway, God tore that veil from top to bottom. It was a statement from heaven. It was God's statement. And what was he saying with that? Well, there's no separation anymore between me and your presence. There's nothing, nothing that blocks, that impedes you from coming before my presence anymore. Before there was this veil. You could not approach me. I was unapproachable. But now through Christ, this is a statement from heaven, I am approachable. That's why it says that it was by the flesh of Jesus. The flesh is this, this veil that was torn. Why? Because at the cross, his flesh was pierced. And he was scourged. And even the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, declares that it was 
the punishment that was upon him brought us peace. That by his stripes we were, we were healed. By his wounds we were healed. This is, this is a reference to that. And, and I love it that it's, it's beautiful. But I don't know if you are getting the essence of this message. That the only way is Jesus. That he's opened a way for us to serve God, to live for God. And his name is Jesus. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Watch this. Now the author of Hebrews calls Jesus a priest. Because I don't know if you caught up with what I was saying. But once a year in the day called Yom Kippur. Maybe some of you heard this, this phrase before, this, this word before. Once a year the high priest for the nation of Israel would go to the holy places, the holy of holies. And offer the sacrifice for all the nation of Israel. You guys remember that? Well, he would offer sacrifice for himself also. Because even the, 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 the high priest still had, still had flaws. So he would offer sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And once a year, the, entire, the, the sins for the entire nation of Israel was covered. Well, now the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is this high priest, this great priest. Well, something to note about this is that Jesus does not need to offer sacrifice for himself. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Not only that, the sacrifice that he offered wasn't just for that year. It wasn't just enough for that one year. It was enough for forever. It covered the sins of humanity once and for all. You see this phrase all over the book of Hebrews. That Jesus died, he offered a sacrifice once and for all. One sacrifice for everyone and for everyone's sin. You understand what I'm saying? That the blood of Jesus was enough to fully please God and to fully atone for sins. That the blood of Jesus is stronger than the weight of our sins. Like, don't take me lightly. Our sins are horrible. And our sins are destructive. And our sins, um, they, 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 they just yell out against the nature and the holiness of God. They are great but the, the, the blood of Jesus is greater. The blood of Jesus is stronger. Now, this is what the psalmist says, that though our sins are as red as scarlet, which is this very dense red, right? He says that um, um, we have been washed as white as snow. He washes us as white as snow. How? Through his blood. Though your sins are as red as scarlet, he washes you as white as snow. So then he says that he's a priest, verse 22. Then, therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, these are all symbols of the sacrifice that the priest would offer. But, and, and the author, author of Hebrews is equating the, the sacrifice of Jesus to that. Like it's, 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 it's so that the, the Hebrews could understand what he was talking about. But I love what he says here. He says even, even uh, deepening this thought of us having confidence of coming before the presence of God. He says let us draw near. Then let us draw near. If we have this confidence in Christ that we have access to God and to everything he is and everything he has through what Christ has done and not ourselves. Then just let us draw near. I mean, this is my message. I'm always preaching this every Sunday. 
You see that I'll tweak this and I'll change this and I'll, I'll bring another portion of scripture to back up what I'm saying. But this is my only in one message. That man, through what Jesus Christ has done, we have gained access to God. But you know what my battle is? My battle is preaching this and us not responding and actually drawing nearer to God. Because in, in light of this message, when we hear a message like this, you know, it should, it should, it should create in us some kind of response. It should create us some kind of response. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Look, if we indeed have this confidence, if indeed Christ has made a way, if indeed our sins have been atoned for, if indeed Christ has granted us access to God because he's made us right with God through his blood, if this indeed is true, we have this confidence, then therefore just draw near to him. Like I'm tired of seeing Christians living far from God. I'm tired of seeing defeated Christians and this in itself is a contradiction. There should not exist a defeated Christian. It's a contradiction because Christ is our victory. You understand what I'm saying? There's, you know, Christians in bondage, like Christ followers in bondage. And I mean, I know life happens. I know there are battles. And I'm not removing the weight of those battles. Paul talks about these battles. We see in Scripture men and women of God who face these, these temptations and battles and difficulties. What I'm saying is Christ will grant you the victory. It's a promise. It's a biblical promise. The Bible itself says that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Do you know this? Have you heard this passage before? It's in Romans chapter 8 verse something. Look it up for yourself. Homework. It says that, that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. In that same chapter, chapter 8, it says that, that all things will work together for our good. So look, we have a confidence. The author of Hebrews is de detailing this confidence. And he's saying, therefore, do something. Draw near to God. Approach him. Come before him. Live your life for him. Let him guide you. Let him lead you. Let him speak to your life. Let him exhort you. Why? Because we have a confidence that all he does towards us is good. It's based on his great plans for you. So trust him. Live for him. Take a deep breath. Let hope and let faith and let peace and let joy be stirred in your heart with this message of a confidence that we have, that we possess in Christ. A confidence that does not fail us because the confidence is not in us. Because even in our best days, we might have confidence in us. But let me tell you, it will fail us one day if the confidence is in us in what we're doing. Because even the good works, even our good works, even our best days, it's because it's God working Christ in us. God forming Christ in us. You understand what I'm saying? Even our good works doesn't come from us. It comes from his spirit within us guiding us to the truth. You might not notice this because you've been made one with God. It's what scripture says. Now those who believed in Jesus, they have been joined with him in spirit. You understand what I'm saying? And then if we move on, let us draw near. And this is my plea to you. Draw near to God today. Don't be distant from him anymore. And I know that. That maybe we're carrying some kind of weight of guilt or condemnation. But 
But the author of Hebrews, he doesn't even bother to mention that. He just says, draw near to him. Just draw near to him. I don't know if you remember, but he's the one that exchanges our guilt and our shame with, with some, some other, um, with, with his own um, yoke, which is light. It's not burdensome. He exchanges those things. Those things. Look what he says then, verse 22. Let us then hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Paul, the apostle, he writes this to Timothy in one of, one of his letters. He says, God is faithful even when we are not faithful. I love it. Because oftentimes we make it about our faithfulness. <laughs> but the Bible says, look, God doesn't waver. And that's why the author of Hebrews is saying here, look, hold fast to this confession, what confession? That Christ is your righteousness. That Christ has made you right with God. Oops. <laughs> Hold fast to what? To this truth, this confession. That Christ has made a way. You know, it's, it, Paul says this, this in Colossians at the end of chapter 2. Sorry, beginning of chapter 3, I believe. Somewhere in Colossians, come on. <laughs> he says, look. All of the list of things, do not handle, do not touch, do not smell, do not eat, don't do this, don't do that. The list of things, he says, look, those things have an appearance of wisdom, but they're worthless. The list of works presented before you, you know, telling you, hey, you, gotta, you better do this and fix yourself and, and work this out and fix this about your life, before you try to follow him, before you try to, to go after Jesus. Like all of that has an appearance of wisdom and spirituality, but it's all worthless. You understand what I'm saying? And then he goes on to say, verse 24, let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and to good works. You see, it's not a list of things telling me, hey, you got to do good works. You got to live a moral and righteous life. It's not an outside list of things telling me to do that, but it's us stirring one another in love into good works. But how? By holding fast to this confession without wavering, which is our hope, by drawing near to God because Christ has made a way. You understand what I'm saying? So religion gets in the way. Religion gets in the way of our relationship with God. And religion gets in the way of our call before God. How? Because religion always disqualifies us. You know, Christianity is not about a set of lists, a list of things for us to do and adhere to so that we can claim we're Christians. No, Christians are those who have met Christ and given their lives up for him. You see how that has nothing to do with me first trying to change myself, finding myself to be morally right, to attain righteousness. But I, I've taught this before, that biblical New Testament, New Covenant righteousness is not about right doing, but it's about right living. It's an identity. 
just like you're a child of God. Not because of things you do, but because he himself decided to adopt you in his family and call himself our heavenly father. It's your identity. It's who you are. It's not what you do. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And once you understand this truth, of course, God will lead you to live morally right. Of course. But this is what we do, right? We, we've heard about the law. And we, we, we know the Ten Commandments. But let me tell you one thing. Why is it that we pick and choose which commandments we'll follow and which ones we won't? Because in, new, in the New Testament, in the new covenant established by Jesus, I don't know if you know, he has put away the law. He is the end of the law. Christ is a summary of the law. Because the law had a bunch of aspects. We had not just the moral aspect of the law, but ju judicial, right? The ones that ruled how um, the nation of Israel would socialize with one another. Christ has put away all of the law. Like if you want to follow the law, don't follow just the Ten Commandments. Actually, I'm pretty sure you don't follow all the Ten. Do you keep a Sabbath? I don't know if you know, but there aren't just ten. Those are the top ten, the ones we've heard, the ones we know. There are 613 of commandments. It says that men should not uh, trim the tip of their beards. I don't know if you know that. If you trim the tip of your beards, you've already disqualified yourself. It says that we should not wear garment with two types of materials. So if anyone here is wearing polyester with cotton, let me tell you, you're breaking the law. You see where I'm going with this? Why do we pick and choose which one of the commandments we'll follow? Let me tell you, this is not Judaism. Christianity is not Judaism. We don't have the law. The law was given to the nation of Israel, not to Christ followers. You understand what I'm saying? Paul, the guy who preached to Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, he never preached the law anywhere. What was his message? Christ and Christ alone. That was his only message. And then when some Christian Jews met the brothers, the Gentile brothers, they were trying to teach their own tradition from Judaism. Paul said, no, 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 no not here. Not at my church. Not to the Gentiles. This has nothing to do with, with the message of Christ. This has nothing to do with the new covenant teaching of Jesus Christ. We can't pick and choose. And then you tell me, well, how are we going to be morally right if we don't no longer have a law? Well, the Holy Spirit, God has granted us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. This is what I'm saying. God does not want this inanimate object, this, uh, uh, a list of things that we need to do guiding us. God himself wants to lead us, which is better. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to relate myself to a list of things. I want to relate myself to Jesus.